Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are reaction from week one in the NFL and a quick preview of week two, plus the Giants or the Dodgers, which team needs to avoid the wild card more, and a look ahead to week three of the college football season. It's episode 40 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Here we are on Thursday, September 16th, 2021, the 40th, can you believe it, 40 episodes of Let Me Speak coming at you. And I want to say thank you to everyone who was a part of this back from episode one, back in November, and now we're all the way here at 40 episodes. I'm just going to do it every five or so, when we get to 45, when we get to 50, it's going to be insane. I can't believe I've gotten this far, and it's just been so fun to just talk sports and ultimately get my points out there. So this has been really fun, and thank you to all you dedicated viewers and listeners. I know who some of you are, Uh, but again, thank you. Um, Meanwhile, in the current day, you know, I do sound a little bit stuffy, a little bit of a cough from now and then. I am coming on the back half of a cold. We're almost there. We're almost done. It's been about a week, so hopefully this thing is going to be past uh, because it's a very special weekend you know um for those of you that know me personally this is a big uh, birthday month for my family and mine we had uh, my brother and my brother-in-law tomorrow is going to be my dad uh saturday is going to be my nana sunday is going to be mine and then on the 23rd which i believe is a week from today is going to be one of my three sisters so for this episode it's dedicated to my dad mark and my Nana Pearl, um, and to me, I guess, really, if if we're going to be having some fun with that one. So this is going out to you, Dad, and Nana, and to myself. But enough about the personal talk. Let's get into some sports. And obviously, the NFL is the biggest talk of the entire world because it kicked off last week. And I got to tell you, this was, in recent memory, the best week one that I have seen in my personal opinion i mean there were so many games i mean if you're any in any kind of like suicide league suicide pool where you got to pick a team to win it was hard this week it was hard this week to figure out a team to really win because you almost had to throw out the expectation that like anything could happen essentially um but i mean i think part of it was to like this kind of felt like a return two years in the making because Last year, there were limited or no fans for basically every team, and now every stadium is allowing full capacity. So the energy was just incredible, going from Buffalo, New England, Vegas, L.A., Tampa. It was just incredible, an incredible energy to see the fans back at full capacity. But talking about the action on the field, I think the biggest surprise from Week 1 has to be in Jacksonville where the Saints demolished the Packers 38 to 3. And I got to say, Jameis Winston, I think he managed the game incredibly just starting on the New Orleans side of thing. Because I think everyone knows that this is a 5000-yard passer, 30 touchdowns, but 30 picks. And I think everyone saw the 30 picks. But look at how we managed this game. 14 to 20, 148 yards, five touchdowns, a passer rating of almost 131, and a 92.5 QBR. <coughs> I mean, it was incredible to see what Winston did in this game, and he looks like a totally new guy. And I think going to New Orleans was the best thing for him because when he got drafted number one, he had expectations of he's going to turn Tampa Bay around. He's going to turn the Buccaneers around, and obviously he couldn't live up to it. Then, he signs last year with New Orleans, 
He's mentored by Sean Payton, mentored by Drew Brees. He gets the LASIK surgery. <coughs> and I think that was the best thing for him. And I think Winston's going to be a totally new guy. I think he's going to be a new quarterback. I know we're not going to totally go nuts about week one, any predictions. But I think Jameis Winston is going to be a whole new quarterback that you see. And I was skeptical on the Saints possibly making the playoffs. I think after this week one performance, they're going to be they're going to be just fine. I think, you know, they are going to take a little bit of a step back because obviously you don't have Drew Brees as your quarterback, but the fact that Winston is there and he can make those deep throws very impressive. <coughs> but then of course, Alvin Kamara was amazing, absolutely amazing. Because Winston, he did only throw it 20 times, but I think Kamara is going to be really helping this offense more than normal because of this change. I mean, he had the reception touchdown, and he had 83 of the 171 rush yards that New Orleans had. And I think especially after this week, you know, it's going to be, it's it was important to get that week one win. Because when you look at their schedule, the way they're playing out, New Orleans might not be tested until week five. Not until week five, because they've got, they're in Carolina this week, then they go to New England, and then they host the Giants, and then week five would probably be their biggest test, and they have to go to Washington to play the Washington football team. So New Orleans could really go 4-1 and one or 5-0 and oh heading into, I'm sorry, 3-1 and one or 4-0 and oh heading into that week five matchup, which I think is the biggest test for them so far. But obviously, the other side of the football is talking about the Packers, the way that they were just terrible, absolutely terrible. And I'll even say it, Aaron Rodgers was downright horrible, horrible for Green Bay. I mean, 15 to 28, 133 yards and two picks. I mean, in my recent memory, I don't think I've ever seen Aaron Rodgers play this bad, this bad. Now, everyone's saying that he played bad. But I think head coach Matt LaFleur does get a little bit of criticism here because the Packers didn't have any kind of balanced offense at all. I mean, they had 229 total yards. 43 of them, though, were rush yards. Okay, 35 pass attempts to 15 rush attempts. It's not going to be all Aaron Rodgers. Okay, Aaron Rodgers is not going to be this savior where he's going to have to throw it 50 times. You know, you need a balanced attack. That's why you re-signed Aaron Jones. But not only that, three turnovers. Three turnovers, okay? That does not happen with this Green Bay team. Not at all. And it really brings up the question of how invested is Aaron Rodgers going to be, you know, if they keep playing like this. Is he actually going for it? Or is he actually invested in this team and wanting to make a Super Bowl run? (coughs) I think... If they do right the ship this Monday in Detroit, or sorry, hosting Detroit on Monday Night Football, I think it will be an overreaction. I do expect them to bounce back. I think, you know, there's no reason to panic just yet for this Green Bay team. Because you also got to remember, the last team to lose to New Orleans in the season opener 38-3 were last year's Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And look what happened. They went all the way to the Super Bowl. So, I'm not setting the panic mode on the Packers just yet I think give us a few more weeks you know this could just be a week one overreaction so nothing to freak out about (coughs) but I'd say the second biggest result at least that I saw was the Steelers Bills game I mean the Steelers winning in Buffalo 23 to 16 that was shocking to me because that Bills offense didn't look like themselves but before that part I want to talk about Pittsburgh because I think this Pittsburgh defense is legit. The fact that they were able to hold this Buffalo team down. I mean, the block punt for the touchdown, stopping the Bills in the red zone when they needed to. Buffalo was only one of four in the red zone. One of four. And I did say in all the pregame talk or preseason talk that the offense can't revolve around Ben Roethlisberger. And the load was taken off a little bit. He was 18 of 32, 188 yards and a touchdown. But the rushing attack was still 102 yards 
less than the pass yards. So I think, you know, I think there's still questions about the offense for the Steelers. How durable is Roethlisberger going to be when we get to about week nine, week 10, anything like that? If they manage a rushing attack, that's going to be important. But on the other side of the field for the Bills, you know, I, I don't think it's essentially that Pittsburgh won the game. I think Buffalo lost this game because they had a lot of self-inflicted wounds that they really have to clean up. Obviously, the offense wasn't as dominant as they were in the as they were last season. They had eight penalties and they were one for three on fourth down. That's normally a team who plays so well on fourth down. So Buffalo, again, like I said, not the offense that they once were, but it's only week one. But it doesn't get any easier because they got to play Miami. They're hosting Miami, and Miami played good against New England last week coming up with the win. So I think if the Bills clean up their little mistakes, you know, they got to get more of that running game involved and make it more consistent, then I think they're going to be totally fine. I know some people are either really, really high or really, really low on them about repeating their past season success. Me, I'm on the up and up that I think they can do it. I do think that they can do it. But I got to say, this result was very shocking to me to see Pittsburgh pull out the victory in Buffalo. But then the last upset uh, I want to talk about, or last result I want to say, was the uh, Cleveland-Kansas City game. I thought, what an incredible game that was. I mean, it's just classic Chiefs falling behind by a lot at halftime, like two scores, and then they come from behind. But I mean, that wasn't necessarily about Kansas City. It's more about Cleveland for me because I think they got to learn how to close out these games because they had 457 yards of offense, 457, but they just cannot close out these games. I understand two of them were against Kansas City and Kansas City does a lot of that. But I mean, look at three of their last four games dating back to last year. Regular season finale versus Pittsburgh. They led 24 to 9. But they just barely won 24-22. The wild card game. They led 35-7 in Pittsburgh in the second quarter. But they won 48-37. And then, obviously, this past week against Kansas City. They led 22-10 at halftime. And they end up losing 33-29. So it's just all about closing out these games. And when you have a lead, learning how to play with that lead. And sort of holding your opponent at bay. Now to go for just a quick rundown of week two, before that I should also mention that Monday night game against the Ravens and the Raiders, unbelievable, unbelievable. But just a quick breakdown of uh, most of the games here in week two. Uh, Tonight we got the Giants and the Washington football team kicking it off. I think Washington's going to pull out that victory. Cincinnati, Chicago, I'm going to go with the Bears. Houston, Cleveland, Cleveland bounces back. Chargers at Colts, I'm going with the Chargers. I think the Chargers played well last week, and I think the Colts are a little bit reeling from that Seattle game. (coughs) Buffalo and Miami, I'm going to take Buffalo. I think they bounce back. New England, New York, obviously going to go with New England. San Fran and Philly, this one's a little bit of a tricky one, but I think think Philadelphia is going to pull off the upset there's usually a couple of upsets here and there and I think the Eagles at home are going to knock off the Niners Raiders and Steelers I think the Raiders are riding high on that Monday night game so I'm going to take them Saints and Panthers I already told you the Saints are going to come up with that one Denver and Jacksonville I think Denver bounces back I think or not bounce back but they'll go 2-0 Minnesota Arizona Arizona looked great against Tennessee That's why I'm going to pick them. I think they are very early favorites for the playoffs. Atlanta, Tampa Bay, no question about Tampa on that one. Dallas at the Chargers. Oh, I should should correct myself. Um, The Rams are playing the Colts. I think I'm going to take the Rams for that one. Regardless, (laughs) I looked at the logos the wrong way. Um, Cowboys at Chargers. Ah, I mean, they did lose to Marcus Lawrence. It, I think I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna go with the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys are gonna win this one. Tennessee, Seattle. I think Tennessee they really did struggle, and Russell Wilson looked great. It's gonna be a high scoring game, but I think the home stadium is the difference. Give me the Seahawks, and then 
Sunday night football. This is a big one. Kansas City, Baltimore. I think Kansas City is riding high. The Ravens, they've got a lot of injuries in the running backs. And Jackson was getting chased all around the field. I am going to take the Chiefs to win this game. And then the Monday night game, like I said, Packers are going to bounce back and they're going to beat the Detroit Lions. But all I know is, is that if week two in the entire NFL season is going to be as great as what week one was, then football fans are in for an exciting NFL season. Our next topic is going to look into baseball. We are coming to the home stretch. Only a few weeks left in the regular season, and then we get into the postseason. But the big story has been in the National League all year long. It has been between the Giants and the Dodgers in the NL West. They've both clinched their playoff spots. They will be in the postseason, but one of them is going to be in the wild card game, a single elimination wild card game for one, and the other one gets to relax and get home field as the best team in the majors. It, it, the biggest question is who needs to avoid the wild card the most between these two teams? And I thought it's a great subject for our favorite segment, or at least my favorite subject of the week, known as Hot Takes. So the way that the standings are right now, you've got the Giants a game and a half over the Dodgers right now. They're 95 and 51. Dodgers are 94 and 53. But there's still about two weeks left, a little bit over two weeks left in the regular season. So there could be a lot of back and forth. And I was listening to a lot of people, you know, it was some people are calling it, you know, unfair and possibly, you know, not that exciting that one of the two best teams in baseball has to go to a single elimination wild card game. Honestly, I don't see a problem with it. And I'm going to tell you why. We're going to go back to 2018. 2018, okay? Look at the standings in the American League, okay? You have the Red Sox who were 108 and 54 and the Yankees were 162. But the Yankees went to the wild card game and they beat Oakland. So it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon for a 100 win team projected to be in a wild card game because the Yankees did it only a few years ago. And yes, they were able to win that game and escape. But, you know, the fact the fact that all of a sudden the uproar is about either the Giants or the Dodgers being in the wild card game. What a bunch of hypocrites, okay? What a bunch of hypocrites. This happens all the time. All the time. So that nothing don't don't get your panties in a bunch, you baseball writers or whatever that is. All right? Just deal with it, okay? Deal with it. But aside from that, you know, looking at the wild card standings right now in the National League. Obviously, Whoever is not the West Division is going to be that first wild card, without a doubt. Right now, the Dodgers are 17 games up. 17 games up. And like I said, they already clinched a playoff spot, so we know they're going to be in regardless. Look at the teams who they might have to contend with. Right now, it's the Cardinals. They're a game up on the Padres. They're a game and a half up on the Reds. Three up on the Phillies. Five up on the Mets. Okay, so those are basically the teams that you have to think about. Out of those teams, I think the most dangerous ones to to uh, either the Giants or the Dodgers are the Padres, the Reds, and the Phillies. And I'm going to tell you why. Because the Padres, in-division rivals. Anything can happen with that game. I know they sent Blake Snell to the IL, and he's one of their stronger pitchers. But the fact that they're division rivals... That they're in the same division. That could open the door. That could open the door for a team with World Series expectations to get, bam, gutted out by a division rival. Okay? Next, the Reds. 
I know they've lost four straight, but they still have tremendous, they have a tremendous makeup right now. They were getting hot at the best time. I know people are going to say, wait, the Cardinals have won five straight. How are they not playing at the best time? They are playing at the best time. But the fact is, their offense cannot be sustained like Cincinnati's can't. Like I said, Winker, Castellanos, they have so many pieces. Dietrich, they have a ton of pieces that will get them into the wild card. And like I mentioned a couple weeks ago, they got great pitching. Wade Miley as a, a part of that one. I think Cincinnati is a sustainable team and they can bounce back and get back into this. The Phillies, I know they are three games out, but their offense has been on fire. Their offense has been on fire. And like I said about their pitching, ever since they got Kyle Gibson, it's been a real boost of energy, a jolt of lightning to get them back into this wild card race. So those are really the three teams that I see as really being big contenders for the Dodgers or the Giants, depending on which one of them makes the wild card. Now, in terms of who needs to avoid it more, I mean, the Dodgers are the defending World Series champs. So there's not really a ton of expectation. I mean, they, they have had projections of repeating and stuff like that. But it's not like <clears throat> it's not like it'll be a total failure if they have this tremendous record and fall out. Because when you think about it, they're always at the, the top. They're always in this sort of idea. I mean, they've made the World Series three out of the last four years. So they're always up there. And <clears throat> most most likely they're going to be able to do this again next year they will at least be world series contenders meanwhile for the giants no one expected them to have the best record in baseball no one at all and to waste it by being eliminated in the wild card would be a total shot to the heart for them and it would be maybe the biggest collapse in baseball history maybe because this is a team that totally exceeded expectations Everyone is, was expecting them to come back down to earth, and they haven't. Now, for the wild card game itself, you know, for the Dodgers, you have a ton of options in terms of who you're going to throw out there. Kershaw, Scherzer, Bueller, Urias, even David Price possibly, if you need, if your starter doesn't go that long. They have a ton of options out there, and obviously they have the lineup to sustain some offense. Betts, Muncie, Bellinger, Seager, you name it, they got it. Like I said a while back. The Giants, I think they throw out either Gosman or DiScofani. I think their offense with Chris Bryant, I think is okay. You know, they have they have Chris Bryant. They've got a resurging Buster Posey, Crawford, all those guys. But I think it's in the best interest for the Giants to win this division. So just to get to the overarching question, the team that needs to avoid it the most are the Giants because they don't have a lot of options right there. They don't have a ton of talent like the Dodgers do, okay? Scherzer's been undefeated. Max Scherzer has been undefeated since he came to the Dodgers in that trade with the Washington Nationals, okay? The Dodgers have a ton of options, as I listed, to throw out there in the wild card game. Plus, they're 10 times better. They should be 10 times better than anyone else who should be, who will be in that second wild card spot. The Giants, everyone's still got their doubts about them coming back down to earth, my, me myself included. Because when the postseason hits, that's when the true best teams come out. <clears throat> when you get on any kind of magical run, how well is your team going to be from top to bottom? You know, your starting rotation, your bullpen, your lineup. Every single player is going to be evaluated. And if no one is contributing, then it's flushed down the toilet. That's why I think the Dodgers, I feel more confident if they were to make the wild card that they would win that game rather than win the division. Okay. The Giants, I think, you know, there's still hesitancy because. It's a really overachieving team. Kind of similar to the Red Sox in 2013. You know, this was a last place team in 2012. They come back and they win it all. But people were still skeptical about them. 
when they made the ALCS. Everyone was picking the Tigers because they had a tremendous lineup with uh, Miguel Cabrera, Victor Martinez, uh, great pitching rotation with Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Rick Porcello, etc., etc. But they still did it. This is the same thing with the San Francisco Giants, is that they are a team who has struggled in recent memory, and all of a sudden, they are the top team in baseball. It's still, for some people, tough to fathom, and they're very hard to believe. So I think for the Giants, their best interest is to win that division and secure at least a best-of-five series. Because we've seen it in the past with wildcard games, is that anything can happen. And even from the wildcard game, you get teams like the Kansas City Royals who get all the way to the World Series. But again, anything can happen in that wildcard game, and that's why it is so imperative that either team is going to fight to the end and get to that NL West at the top. Because we all know, in looking in the past of postseason baseball, anything, and I mean anything, can happen. Moving on, we go into college football, and we're getting a little bit into the season now, talking about week three, and these are some of the games to watch for right now. Not necessarily games, but these are the teams that really you got to keep an eye on right now, because they're either making headlines in the best way or the worst way. Example, USC. I think the University of Southern California has become an absolute mess. Why? Because they fired Clay Helton as their head coach, after two games, two games in this season. Are you kidding me? And apparently the AD saying it's a change in leadership. Come on. He went 46 and 24 during his tenure, okay? And I understand that they lost 42-28 to Stanford last week, but come on. You're telling me that your change in leadership is better than this? Let's keep in mind what USC has been for the last 10 years or so. Nothing. Nothing. Okay? They were running the show in the mid-2000s when Pete Carroll was there and Reggie Bush was there and all of those guys. Now who has USC produced? Sam Darnold? Nelson Aguilar? Come on. There's no sustainable USC products coming out of there. Okay? This is just the AD for Southern Cal trying to relive the glory days. Okay, that is all it is right now. Trying to relive its glory days because it it's done. It's it it's not going to be close. And there are, are plenty of teams in that range who dominated like the mid two thousands or whatever, and now are nowhere near that. Okay, Clay Helton was the perfect guy. Okay, not even. A, uh, this I cannot believe the fact that USC decided to make this move because I liked Clay Helton. I thought they finally found a guy who could be sustainable and understand, you know, maybe not being at the top of the Pac-12 or whatever, but there's still plenty of other great teams in that conference. You know, Washington State had a great year. Washington's on the rise. Oregon's coming back, okay? Maybe that's what they saw. They saw Oregon. They saw them beat Ohio State. And they lost to Stanford, and that's thinking, that could be us. That could be us. But that's where USC right now. What is their locker room essentially going to be like? Unless there was some kind of inner thing where he lost the locker room or anything like that, then I don't understand why USC would fire Clay Helton. And I'm going to be really curious to see how they play in Washington against Washington State. Because ultimately... What is this team going to be? Are they going to be invested in whoever is the interim head coach? Or are they basically just going to throw in the towel and say, what are you guys doing? We like this guy. We liked our head coach. You know, that's the really the biggest thing to watch for is USC. How does that mess off the field translate to on the field for USC? And keep in mind, they're one and one. Okay, so there's still 
plenty of time for them to really get back into it, which in what I think is kind of the weakest of the Power 5 conferences with the Pac-12. But back to teams that actually matter. I think another team to watch for is Ohio State, obviously because they were in total shock with their defeat at the Horseshoe to Oregon. I mean, Oregon jumped from 12 to 4 after that victory for the Ducks, 35 to 28. And honestly, you know, what what is Ohio State going to look like now? Because I think there were a lot of questions, you know, about the young quarterback for Ryan Day and defensively. I mean, they have been lacking, you know, they allowed 35 points of the loss, but the week before, they allowed 31 to Minnesota, okay? I do think that the these next two games are nice and easy to get them back on track before the Big 10 conference play really gets underway. They host Tulsa and they host Akron, okay? Those should be should be walkover games right now. And I think they still have a chance to make the playoff as long as they win out. If they win the conference, then I think they get either into that three or that four slot, depending on what else happens. You know, there could be two SEC teams. There could be a Big Ten or or another Big Ten or a Big 12 team that gets in there. That's really something to watch out for, is how does Ohio State bounce back from a very shocking loss to Oregon at home? Because let's face it, it's almost like they've been unbeatable at home there in the horseshoe. And now all of a sudden, bam, Oregon comes in, they ride over them, and you know what what's it gonna be like for for Ohio State? I do think they walk over Tulsa this week. I think they walk over Akron next week. Once conference play gets underway, that's where you really gotta start paying attention. But I think the biggest game of the week is definitely number one Alabama at number eleven Florida. I mean Two ranked teams going against each other in conference play. I think all signs point to Alabama because, let's face it, Bryce Young has been incredible at quarterback for the Crimson Tide, okay? Almost 600 yards passing, seven TDs, passer rating of 180.1, okay? He's been phenomenal. But really, I just want to look at Florida's side for this because we know what Alabama is. Florida's rushing attack on offense has to be superb, superb. Because they've gotten triple digits in the rush yards in their first two games. 400 yards. 400 yards against FAU. And then 109 at USF. But it's the quarterback position that really has to be evaluated. And I think after this game, Dan Mullen is going to have to commit to one quarterback. Because Anthony Richardson, I think he's been great for the Gators for a sort of change of pace style. I mean, the quarterback has a 73 and an 80-yard rushing touchdown on his resume during these first two games. And meanwhile, their supposed QB1, Emory Jones, has thrown two picks in both of his games so far in his first two games. So Emory Jones is going to have to clean it up and really have the game of his life. And then maybe Anthony Richardson again does, does that change of pace for them at the quarterback position. But like I said, after this, Dan Mullen is going to have to commit to a quarterback one. You know, who is going to be his lead guy? I know he said Emory Jones is our lead, is our guy. He's our quarterback one. But is Richardson going to want to throw the ball more? Is he going to want to take on a bigger role? Because, I mean, he's but he's been great in these sort of play schemes where he comes in and he's sort of like that wildcat, essentially. But for Alabama... If they force turnovers, they will win this game, okay? That's all it is, because turnovers are going to be the biggest difference in this game. They forced five so far in their first two games. So I think if you had to ask me to make a pick, I think I would take Alabama for this one. I don't think you, you go against it unless you see them drop a game on the field. But like I said, Florida has a chance with those kind of keys and those roles. That if they get this done, if they have a great rushing attack, if Richardson again does have have a great game, an explosive touchdown run for X amount of yards, then the Gators will make this a contest. But I do think Florida does drop this game, and I think Alabama rolls with it. Should be no problem for the Crimson Tide. But 
this is the time where conference play starts getting underway for most of those Power 5 schools, so time to kick in the high gear for the college football season. segment for all you new england and massachusetts fans out there it's our let's get local segment of the week and of course the big story coming out of the new england area was mac jones's first regular season appearance in the nfl taking on the miami dolphins and i'm gonna be honest he looked great i thought for a rookie he was very poised and they let him throw the ball a little bit more as the game got along i mean the numbers 29 of 39 208 yards, 281 yards, excuse me, one touchdown, a 75 QBR, and he was only sacked one time, okay, only sacked one time, and I gotta say, like I said, very impressive, very impressive, not only that, but he spread the ball around a lot, he hit Nelson Aguilar, he made five catches, James White made six, Jacoby Myers made six, Jonu Smith got five, and Hunter Henry got three, so he really expanded the ball. And I don't think he was the cause. I don't think he was the cause for why the Patriots lost that game 17-16, okay? It's going it's all about just fundamentals. It's fundamentals and that's something Bill Belichick really prides himself on because this team went 11 of 16 on third down. Extremely impressive. 268 yards passing, 125 yards rushing. They had more yards than the Dolphins, okay? But it was the mental mistakes. That were the problem. They only went one of four in the red zone. They had eight penalties. They turned the ball over twice, including the really costly one by Damian Harris. Okay? This is a good Miami team. Don't don't get that twisted. I think this is a Miami team that, again, contends for the wild card. Okay? With the amount of weapons that they have. I think, Tua, there's still some questions about Tugavailoa. About him, I think the running game still is kind of eh, out there, but I think they've got great pass catching weapons with Parker, Waddle, uh, Gaskin, uh, and all of that. I still think there's questions about them, but this is about New England, and I think Damian Harris, aside from that fumble, I thought he played great, and I have to vouch for him because. He is on my fantasy team, so I got to defend him, and I got to pray that Bill Belichick doesn't bench him like he has in the past. But again, it's just small fundamentals for this Patriots team. Offense looked great. You know, it's basically everything that we had initially thought was going to happen for this New England team is that the offense was going to be better, but the defense, especially in the secondary, was going to struggle. They were going to struggle without... Stephon Gilmore, okay, but they only allowed 185 passing yards, okay, it's just when they got into that red zone where they were really, really tricky, it was, Miami was two of two, but <clears throat> I thought New England overall, you know, if I had to give it a grade, I would probably give it like a a B, like a, like a solid, a solid B, because the offense was steady, the defense, I thought the front seven looked great. I thought uh, Judon and uh, all everyone on the D-line looked great. And the linebacking core kind of back to their original ways. Just some small stuff to really clean up on. But like I said, penalties, turnovers, those are the things that Bill Belichick is going to have to clean up. And I think he will clean it up because he's got the Jets, okay? If there's any bounce back game that a team can look forward to, it's a game against the Jets. And I think Bill Belichick really had a talk in that locker room, really saying, like, don't be happy about this performance. You can't be happy with an L because no one's happy with a loss, obviously. But what's funny is that in recent memory, you know, this is the most optimism I've seen from a Patriots fans out in a loss in a long time. Okay, there was a time where 13 and three was an absolute fail for them. And now here we are talking about moral victories for a Patriots team that's won six Super Bowls. So it, it's it's amazing how, how times have changed for uh, here in Foxborough, Massachusetts. But I, uh, I will say, again, I think this is one game 
There's nothing really to get too excited or too angry about. The fact that it's only one game, there's still 16 games more on the schedule, and there's plenty of time for Bill Belichick and that whole coaching staff to really clean these things up because this is this is a new look. It's a it's definitely a new look for this Patriots team. They spent all that money. They obviously drafted Jones, 15th highest draft pick in a really long time. So there's still a lot of time for not only the young guys to develop, but for all the new guys to get accustomed to the kind of system that the Patriots run. So, like I said, I'll give it a B, and I will hopefully, hopefully the Pats will be able to rebound and put up some more points and hold down that Jets team because this Jets team is struggling with injuries. It should be a win, and if it's not a win, it will be a very big disappointment and a lot of questions are going to be raised not just on the entire team but on the coaching staff but that's on Sunday let's talk about the right here and the right now and that's all about the Red Sox right now their chase for the postseason is getting harder and harder and harder when you look at the wild card standings right now it is a deadlock tie and their percentage points behind the Blue Jays and the Yankees right now I think ultimately it comes down to those three teams right there those three AL East teams. And it's great. It's great for baseball because they all play each other. <coughs> so it's going to get really exciting at the end of the regular season. But to talk about this Red Sox team itself, I think the hardest part of the rest of the season is behind them right now. I think the hardest series they do have left is next weekend where they host the Yankees. I think the winner of that series is going to make the playoffs, I think. And I think the Red Sox can do it. I think the Red Sox can be the Yankees. But aside from that, they host Baltimore, they host the Mets, they host the Yankees, then they go to Baltimore and to Washington to end the regular season. That's a nice, easy schedule that the Red Sox can really get themselves back. And speaking of getting themselves back, they're going to get everyone from the COVID list hopefully back. You know, Their offense is back to the way it was lineup-wise. They're going to get Chris Sale back hopefully soon if he can pass a couple tests from COVID. They've got Pavetta back. Um, they're getting their bullpen guys back. You know, I think this is still a team that really has to grind it out. But it, there are a lot of games that they, they should be winning. You know, that 5-4 loss to Seattle, I think they could have won that. The 2-1 to Chicago, I think they could have won. 4-3, they could have won. There's just a lot of games in re, uh, recently that's really getting out of hand for them. And that's basically, it's kind of like they have to get down to the very end to be able to come up with these victories. And that's going to be stressful for a Red Sox fan. But if it's their way of winning the game, then have at it. Because I think this lineup, I think this lineup is good. I, I do think it's one of the better lineups that the MLB has seen. I'm a big fan of Hunter Renfro with what he's been doing. Bobby Dahlbeck has surprised everyone with how hot he has been swinging the bat. Martinez, you hope, is going to get out of his slump. Bogarts is back from the COVID IL. And Devers is doing his thing. These guys are good in the lineup. But again, it comes down to the pitching and more so in the bullpen. I think we've seen over the 130, however many games, I think 140 or whatever, that they've played this that this rotation is good not great but good you know Rodriguez has his moments Pavetta has his moments if they let Tanner Howe go a little longer I think he'll be good and then obviously you get Chris Sale but when you if you're like leading and you need to like really close out these games who are you going to trust can you trust uh Ottavino can you trust Valdez Davis Robles Again, these are names that don't make you feel relaxed. You know, even when you're up like 12 to 4, I remember they had a game or something like that. I told someone, I'm not comfortable until that game is over and they have the win secured. Because literally, any this lineup, or this bullpen, excuse me, is not safe. It's not secure. Really, I said in the past, the only guy you can trust is Garrett Whitlock, and he's a rookie. He hasn't hit the bull, uh, postseason stage just yet he's still young and then I said the other guy was Matt Barnes but he's on the COVID IL and he struggled beforehand so 
that's what we're saying. I mean, Ottavino is going to be your closer now. It's it's a lot of moving parts. You know, Alex Cora is going to figure out. He's got to figure out what is the rotation of this bullpen like. Okay, because you know you have your long term guys for when starters can't go long. That's Perez. That's Richards. You know that those are your guys. You know that Ottavino is somewhere in your back half. But the question is, where is he? Your eighth inning guy, or is he? Is he your closer? Okay. Cora's got to figure that out. How does Ryan Brazier fit in now that he's back? Okay, that's what Cora has to do because he has been moving pieces in that bullpen pretty much all season long, and he has to firm down a rotation. Maybe Whitlock, instead of being Tanner Houck's bailout guy, becomes an eighth-inning setup, or he be, becomes a closer. That's what Cora has to figure out. And I think what's good is that it's a nice, easy schedule, like I said, in the uh, to finish out the regular season for them to figure it out. Again, they start the they get the day off today, then they got a three-game set at Fenway against the Orioles, followed by a two-game set to host the Mets starting on that Tuesday. And ultimately, I do think this is a team, you know, I said it last week that I firmed down that Toronto and Boston are going to be the two wildcard teams in the AL. Why? Because I think the Yankees again, too inconsistent. They have gotten back on track, but it's been against the Mets, the Twins, and the Orioles. They get a couple of sets versus Cleveland versus Texas. But to end the season, a three-game set in Boston, a three-game set in Toronto, and a three-game set hosting Tampa Bay. That is not easy. And that's where I think New York is going to falter. That that I think that's where they fall off. I think Toronto is too hot. And if they do get out of the wildcard game, I do think they can make World Series run with that lineup and their pitching coming back around. But I think on the Red Sox side, I think as long as they continue to at least play sustainable baseball, you know, not winning baseball, sustainable baseball, then I think they find themselves in the postseason. But I got to tell you, as a Red Sox fan, it is not going to be easy because this team loves to carry it all the way down to the end. And love to make it in the ninth inning or in the tenth inning, like yesterday in Seattle. Um, it's just it's going to be very very curious to see uh, how the Red Sox attack this one. And hopefully, within these last two weeks, they'll be able to right the ship and get themselves in the MLB postseason. Finally, to wrap up our show, as we always do, it's our LOL moment of the week. And I got to say, not only was it fun, it was entertaining, it was something that could be a revolutionary tool for the future. So without any further ado, this week's LOL moment of the week goes to the Manning brothers, Peyton and Eli Manning. It's so simple. Their Monday night coverage was so much fun and so entertaining to watch. I mean, just the quick one-liners. Obviously, Peyton Manning has a history of being a little bit of a comedian and stuff like that. But just the dynamic between these two. I mean, what's a better dynamic than a set of brothers, okay? No other dynamic is better. You know, best friends don't have that kind of chemistry. It's all about those brothers right there. The fact that Manning, he's able to study the game the way he does. And then Eli throwing out those quick one-liners saying, you know, I remember, uh, you know, uh, I remember Peyton, you know, throwing on the Baltimore helmet saying like, ah, this helmet is too tight for me. And Eli's like, oh, they they found a, they need a helmet to equip that big head of yours or something like that. And then early on, there was Peyton imitating John Gruden and the two of them interviewing, you know, Charles Barkley. Ray Lewis, I think this is a revolutionary tool, um, and this is coming from someone who wants to be a play-by-play announcer. I will say, keep the tradition. Keep the tradition. Respect your play-by-play announcers. And I think, you know, for for those, I, I love those sort of secondary things. You know, with like the national championship for college football, they always have like secondary or third cast, something like that. For the NFL and stuff like that. This is something for, this brings viewers in. It brings viewers in, especially on a Monday night. You know, everyone is home from work. 
and it's been a long day off the weekend and stuff like that. You know, just watching a football game is boring, but watching it with the Manning brothers doing it the way they do and Peyton and Eli having that sort of banter, that's fun. That is fun to watch if you need a little laugh and stuff like that. I am all in on this setup right here for Peyton and Eli Manning. You know, there was no play-by-play. It was just all analysis, just two guys talking with each other, talking football and stuff like that. And that's kind of what I like to see. You know, that's like when you're watching a baseball game and they can't do um, play-by-play of every single thing. You got to have a conversation in there from from time and again. You know, that's why you have uh, the dynamic, like in the NBA, Mike Breen, Van Gundy, and Jackson. That's why in the MLB, when you have conversations, they work so well. I like this setup here, and I like what ESPN and the NFL is doing because Peyton Manning and Eli Manning have tremendous chemistry, and they should, obviously, like I said, they're brothers, but the fact that it's just so different, I think, you know, people like the sort of difference and stuff like that, and they'll just like it until it gets old, but I don't think this is going to get old. I think Peyton Manning, with his comedic timing and his one-liners, and Eli throwing in his now and again, and I just think that, I think it's incredible. I think it's incredible, and I was, I was, I had a smile on my face you know, it was like I wasn't even paying attention to the game and watching those two, which I'm sure, you know, people don't want to. I don't think the NFL or ESPN wants to be like, hey, don't put attention on yourselves. You know, keep it on the game. But, you know, obviously if a big play happens, they got to stop the conversation and just be like, oh, look at this touchdown right here. But the fact that they were just so loose with it and not entirely serious, you know, with the season opener. I, I absolutely loved it, and I think it's going to be something fun for football fans and for f- sports fans in general to tune into every single week. So Peyton and Eli Manning, your dynamic chemistry and the fact that you can have so much fun on these Monday nights turn you into this week's LOL Moment of the Week. So that'll do it for another edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I know I sound a little nasally or stuffy, but I appreciate all of you sticking through it. Make sure you follow us on all our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you've got a point, you got to get across Just let the whole world know, shut up and let me speak.